Welcome to the Missing Chapter Podcast, where you will hear some of the least known, obscure, and entertaining stories the history textbooks left out. Starring Phil Horander and Phil Schaff. Their names are synonymous with Saturday mornings and the laughter of children. Bugs Bunny, Daffy Duck, Elmer Fudd, Sylvester the Cat. Generations began their weekends by welcoming these comical characters into their homes, and as a result, they helped shape the culture that they entertained. Porky Pig, Tweety Pie, Foghorn Leghorn, The Roadrunner. The golden age of cartoons saw an increasing number of production companies spring up throughout Hollywood and would help revolutionize a television industry that was still in its fledgling years. Barney Rubble, Mr. Spacely, Pepe Le Pew, Speedy Gonzalez. These illustrated icons helped amass untold fame and wealth that is still being felt today, some 80 years later. Captain Caveman, Woody Woodpecker, Dino the Dinosaur, Marvin the Martian. But there's one name that you might not know, and it's imperative to understanding the true scope of this time period, as well as this entire genre of entertainment. You see, without him, there would have been no stories. And these characters, well, their voices would never have been heard. Hear their stories and his on this episode of The Missing Chapter. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, to this episode of the Missing Chapter Podcast. I'm Phil Schaff here with Phil Hornder. Phil, today we have a, a pretty enticing aroma uh, today in the room. We got the Dunkin' Dark Roast, and uh, it's the middle of the summer. It's hot, but we went dark roast anyway, and it's just one of those days. You kind of need a little extra kick, and I think with this episode you have for us, this is probably the perfect brew for it. Yeah, Phil, and you know what? I Listen, I'm a big um, Dunkin' Donuts a fan as I know you are too. Oh, yeah. And I mean, we, we drink a variety of different coffees, but you know, my, my fallback is definitely Duncan. And this has been a really good cup of coffee, especially like you said, it's a hot coffee, but in the summer it's perfect. All right. So I got to tell you, I, I know we've talked about this before. I've seen the excitement in your eyes with certain episodes. Uh, there, there are some days where you're like, I'm dying to share with you, but I want to keep the shock and awe factor uh, behind the microphone, real and 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 authentic for the listeners. This one, as soon as you heard this story, and you started diving deeper and deeper and deeper into this, uh, the excitement was like emanating through your pores. I mean, it was. I am so excited now because the only thing that I know is what you've put in the intro, and you've you've told me bits and pieces just to reel me in. I think more than anybody, any one of the listeners. I'm actually more excited. You know, and Phil, I have to give credit where credit is due. Okay. Okay. Because this, um, the the topic that I'm, I'm bringing you today uh, in this episode uh, was brought to my attention by my wife, Erin. And uh, this is actually the second time she's given me material for an episode. The first one was a short 
it was um, The Good Doctor. Okay, I'm gonna which get to was a great episode. Too. But yeah. I never got the opportunity to thank her because it was a short, and we do those a little bit differently as our audience members know. But one night over dinner, she she discussed this individual with me and just his amazing, amazing story. Yeah, I mean, every chapter of his life is amazing. And she knew it would fit perfectly into the missing chapter. I think I texted you right away and said, all right, I have my next full length. You did. And thank you, had, you, Aaron. You ended it with a bunch of exclamation marks, right. too. So thank you, Aaron, for that. Yeah. And uh, Phil, take it away. Let's see what we got. You know, and before I get, I get into this, Phil, I'm going to say you brought up a good point in that we kind of we continue to marvel at the popularity of our show. Mm -hmm. And I think to myself, I wonder really what is it about our podcast that people enjoy? You know, I find myself, and I know you, we've had this discussion before in that every time it seems that we do the research, we come up with new material, I find myself saying, this might be one of my favorite ones <laughs> I've done. And I don't know if people, there are lessons to learn. I think it's entertaining. I would like to think it's entertaining. But this one in particular, I came away thinking there are so many lessons about this individual's life that I think we can learn something from. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm laying that out there because I hope you guys pick up on the same things that I did as I did my research. But I'm going to start off telling you a little bit about this person's background. Melvin Jerome Blank. And the last name I'm going to spell for it's B-L-A-N-K. We'll okay. get into that in just a moment, why that's important. Was born to Frederick Harvey and Eva H. Katz Blank on May 30th, 1908, in the Mission District of San Francisco, California. And when he was six years old, the family moved to Southwest Portland, uh, where he was enrolled and attended Shattuck and Commerce Grammar Schools and later Lincoln High School. So the majority of his life was spent in Oregon. He started out in San Francisco, but this is a West Coast individual. The majority mm -hmm. of his life overwhelmingly will be spent on the West Coast. In June of 1923, at the age of 15, Blank earned his first job as a radio performer, singing on KGW's Stories by Aunt Nell, which was a weekday program for children at age 15, pretty young. It's interesting to note that less than a year later, when he was only 16, Phil, Melvin changed the spelling of his last name to Blank, B-L-A-N-C, after a high school teacher told him he would amount to nothing. A blank, like his last name. Oh, come And I on. read that and I thought to myself, all right, we know as educators that our words have power. But here's an example. I mean, this, this is somebody who becomes amazingly uh, famous and amazingly successful. But to think that he had to change his name as a 16-year-old over what a, a high school teacher had said to him is very sad to say the least. Well, I can actually resonate that with that a little bit because my last name Schaff, S-C-H-O-F-F, -F, was originally S-C-H-A-F-F. -F. And when my uh, German ancestors came over, an English teacher said, no, 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 that, that can't happen. That's way too German. Uh, you need to change that to Schaff. Wow. So that was, that, that's something now, granted, it wasn't as harsh as like, <laughs> you're no, going to amount to nothing. But right. yeah, they had that kind of power. It's Quite incredible. Very powerful. So in 1927, station KGW hired Blank for its popular Hoot Owls program, where he started to kind of expand his repertoire. He was both performing and writing now for the late night variety show. This also came to include an occasional musical element, and he would either be playing a horn, a ukulele, or a violin. And Blank became known for delivering humorous yarns, sometimes using different dialects, voices, intonations. And he eventually moved back to San Francisco, 
where he reunited with his older brother, Henry Blank, who was the program director for KFWI Radio. When the New York stock market crashed in the fall of 1929, kicking off the Great Depression, his brother's station was forced to close as a casualty, and Mel Blank returned to KGW and the Hoot Owls. So, I mean, we're talking about the height, really, of radio popularity. And these stations on the West Coast, I mean, it's hitting it big, but it's interesting to see he's jumping from one to the next. You know, at months at a time, um, based on how the economy is doing, based on what his personal life is. But it seems to be he's at the right place at the right time. He's at the right place at the right time. Right. These are fairly good sized markets. Yeah. Right. On March 26, 1931, Blank was named musical director of the RKO uh, Orpheum Theater on Southwest Broad Broadway in Portland, Portland, Oregon, which featured movies and vaudeville acts. All right. And, and at this time, he's still only 23. He directs an 11 piece band called Mel Black and the RKO Westerners that performed both on stage and doubled as the Hoot Owls Orchestra, all right, which he was still hosting at night. Blank, who is becoming known in the Portland area on the West Coast as kind of a multi-talented performer, caught the attention of NBC-owned KGO station out of San Francisco. In May of 1931, NBC hired him as master of ceremonies for a show called The Road Show. But the program was canceled and Blank once again returned to Portland and the Hoot Owls. So between Portland and San Francisco, I mean, his early years are really, he's traveling back and forth. Mm -hmm. Finally, in March of 1932, Blank leaves for Los Angeles. He became a regular on the Don Lee Network program, Merrymakers, heard over station K-O-I-N. But work was scarce and Blank was traveling a lot. The reality was, though, he really had little financially to show for it. On May 14, 1933, Blank married Estelle Zelda Rosenbaum and returned once again to Portland, Oregon, where he crafted yet again another innovative late night program for a new station there called KEX. Were these were these boomerang events for him that he keeps on coming back? Were they, were they intentional or is that just like an opportunity that he sees fit? I think it's both. Okay. I think, again, we, we look back in 1929, as we, as we know, the Great Depression affected everyone. Right. To think it affected a radio station mm -hmm. is kind of interesting. But it's wherever the popularity is, wherever the opportunity arises for him to try and, and develop something new and innovative, if they're going to allow him to do it, he's willing to move. All right. So you see him as an opportunist. Right. Okay. And it also showed me, really, as I'm going through this, he how determined he was. You have an individual who's willing to pick up, who's willing to move, sacrifice. But, boy, he believes in himself. And right. he believes in his, his talents. And he wants to pursue his goals and dreams. And he's going to do whatever he, he needs to in order to do that. Mm -hmm. So the Blanks moved back to Los Angeles in August of 1936. And this is where Mel Blank gets his long-awaited break. He was appearing on KNX's Hollywood Barn Dance and NBC Blue Network's The Jelly O Program, starring Jack Benny, which is a pretty big name, yeah. where he was doing impressions of barnyard animals. And at this point, he decides to try and get a voice audition with Warner Brothers Pictures. Now, unfortunately for Mel, he was repeatedly rejected. However, 
when the standing Warner Brothers manager died in 1936, his replacement extended blank an audition and hired him on the spot. Porky's Road Race, his first Looney Tunes animated film short, was released on February 7th, 1937. And if if you haven't started to kind of put the pieces together from the intro, all of those names that we listed in the intro, all right, Porky Pig was one of them, obviously, and a very iconic, you know, cartoon figure. That's the the work of Mel Blanc. Wow. So he's he's going through, and the term I used before was boomerang. He just kept on coming back and coming back and coming back. He finds this opportunity yet again. Um, but it was met with resistance because of this guy said, no, he was almost very similar to the teacher. Like, you're not going to mount the money. Right. This isn't going to be working. I mean, this he was, work he and his family were so nomadic in those early years. And he just went wherever the opportunity, like I said, and, and the creative elements drew him, but he, really his break wasn't just, and you hate to say someone's passing is a break, but in terms of his career, it's certainly in hindsight yeah. is going to prove to be, um, Warner Brothers, that manager's passing, and then his replacement is somebody who's obviously a big fan of Mel Blanc. And, and really, it doesn't take much convincing. He gets hired. And within a year or less than Phil, he has helped voice Porky Pig, somebody who I'd wager to think everyone listening now in their mind is thinking, oh, wow, that's Mel Blanc, the guy Without that we're learning about. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I, boy, it, it's amazing to me to think about this from a student's perspective. You know, because mm-hmm. you, you had that that history of the teacher at the very beginning of the of the episode today. And you think about what that person said. Oh, you're not going to mount anything. And then you, you think, oh, well, this person has a has quite the talent for farm animal voices. Like, what would you do with that? How do you pursue a career and then have the the career that he ends up having? Right. Oh, my God, that's incredible. No, it's, Phil, it's amazing to build off of that. You, you tell kids all the time. And, and we believe this. You have a gift of some sort, right? You have something that you're going to be good at. And it's your job to figure out whatever that is, to foster it, to nurture it, to do whatever. But hopefully that's something that can either bring joy to somebody else's life. You can hopefully do as a, as a living and provide for you and a family. This, this individual, this guy, like you said, is good at doing voices. And it's, and it's usually you're blessed with the calling, right? right? So and you, someone who, like, if you told me, hey, for a living, Phil, you're going to have to do voices for the rest of your life. I'd be like, what? That's going to be awful. Yeah. But for someone who's got that calling, who has that that innate ability, you're also going to enjoy it at the same time. He must have just loved doing this. Right. And and absolutely. I mean, absolutely. You're going to hear that in the rest of the story. And really, like you said, too, is like the 1930s. Not only is he good at this, but it's the height of the time when this is in demand with radio. So it coincided right. nice historically with what was going on. And I, that was another question, too. Do you think his time on the radio helped him perfect his craft? I think so, because you don't have any sort of visual. I mean, it's like doing a podcast. That's true. You want people to listen to your voice. You want people to kind of create that image in their head that a TV show or a movie or in this case, a cartoon doesn't do. I think there are a lot of advantages to this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's going to help, especially early on in his career, you know, as this as this area of entertainment slowly develops. Right. Okay. So he creates Porky Pig with Porky's Road Race in February of 1937. Here we go. Daffy Duck's voice, performed by Mel Blanc, was first heard on April 17th, 
1937, months later, with the release of Porky's Duck Hunt. He introduces the voice of Bugs Bunny on July 27th, 1940, in a piece called A Wild Hare, H-A-R-E. Mm-hmm. Three months later, Blank gave voice to a redheaded bird named Woody Woodpecker in the film short Knock Knock by Walter Lance Productions. Radio editor and columnist William Moyes reported in 1942, quote, Mel Blank is Hollywood's busiest actor and continued by saying he has just appeared in seven top radio shows in seven days. In November of that same year, all right, Blank's new character, Tweety Bird, debuted. So, I mean, this is the laundry list, like I said in the beginning, of our early cartoons. He's every single one of them. And, and see, this is what blows my mind. Like, there's no – like, I wouldn't listen to any one of those cartoon characters, which I, I used to watch them all the time. Mm-hmm. Bugs Bunny was, like, my favorite cartoon growing up. But you wouldn't immediately say, oh, wow, the boy Bugs Bunny sounds an awful lot like Tweety Bird. I, that that just never so that that just shows how talented of a guy this really is. And Phil, when I first started doing the research for this, and when Aaron brought this to my attention, I thought, well, well, Sylvester the Cat and Tweety Bird—that's the same cartoon, right? Daffy Duck and Bugs Bunny—they do scenes that are quick with one another. Can that honestly? I mean, the ability to change characters and do that, not separate from one another, but in conjunction with one another. It's amazing. Because I don't know if they have the technology. We'd have to look this up. Right. Do they have the technology to say, hey, you're going to do this take uh, as Tweety Bird. And then the very next take, we'll, we'll, we'll merge the two sounds together right. so you don't have to go in and out of character. I, I don't know great, if they did. No, and that's a great point. Because, I mean, I think, again, what we do in terms of the podcast and splicing in the late 1930s, early 1940s, <sighs> even if they did, it had to be pretty rudimentary. Right, right. So by now, Blank was working on a dozen network shows, and his stock in the industry is soaring. He was the unhappy Mr. Postman on the Burns and Allen show. And again, these are all radio still, but I want you to listen to some of these names. Botsford Twink on the Abbott and Costello show. And Private Sad Sack on the Bob Hope show. Wow. Uh, He's also a parrot and police inspector on the Lucky Strike program starring Jack Benny. So Blank is really, he's a regular now in Hollywood, and he's working with icons of the field. And in the first months of 1945, he introduces the voice of, ready, Pepe Le Pew, followed by Sylvester the Cat, and one of my personal favorites, Yosemite Sam. So, I mean, his, his resume is pretty impressive. Blank introduces two new animated characters in August of 1946, Foghorn Leghorn and Barnyard Dog, and assumed the voice role of uh, Henry Hawk. On September 3rd, the Mel Blank show, also called Blank's Fix-It Shop, debuts on CBS. And Blank's dream is really being realized on a scale he'd never imagined. He's got his own show. And at this point, he's still only 38 years old. Blank signed with Capitol Records in 1947. His first release called Bugs Bunny, Stories for Children featuring Porky Pig and Daffy Duck, was number two on the Billboard Children's Chart in June of 1948. Many more hits would follow, and Blank would continue to look to expand his resume as he always had. 
He made his motion picture debut playing the character Pancho in the MGM Technicolor musical Neptune's Daughter on June 9th, 1949. And in 1953, Blank began making the rounds on network television, where he was a regular now on the Jack Benny program. Jack Benny he'd worked with now for a number of different years. Get this, guys. The Flintstones. He's Barney <laughs> Rubble. Oh, as well as Bugs Bunny's show and Mr. Magoo throughout the 1950s and 60s. And it goes to show you now it's post-World War II and the television era is now in full swing. You know, you think of the American dream with the white picket fence and a car in the driveway now includes a TV in the living room. Right. And Mel Blanc is right there. Once again, I go back to the talent of this guy. How, you know, it, you think of actors and actresses these days and, you, and we both have young kids, as the listeners know, and we've watched tons of animated series, movies, shows, whatever, you always recognize, oh, that's so-and-so from right. this show. That's so-and-so from this movie. You, I don't know if there's ever a distinction where I could say, oh, I recognize that's Mel Blanc because that's, that's, he's done so many cartoons. They're so distinct from each other. And you think, I mean, I, I think of like a Tim Allen, for instance, yeah. comes to mind. Very often it's his voice. Whereas Mel Blanc, if you think of the characters that we've named already in this episode, they're not, I mean, they're created voices. They're, yeah. they're his imagination. Yeah. You're right. So I don't think, I wouldn't necessarily have known all of these characters were one individual. Right. That, I never would have guessed that. That's mind boggling to me. I, I can't, I can't wrap my head around that. So Mel Blanc is at the pinnacle of his illustrious career. When he's driving home one night in 1961 from a job he just completed in San Francisco, which is a city, I mean, he'd called for called home for a very large portion of his early years. Driving in his prized Aston Martin, hmm. which Phil as a car guy. Oh, yeah. We talked about that earlier. Along California's famed Sunset Boulevard, Blank collides head on with another car driven by a college student on the notorious dead man's curve, leaving Blank clinging to life. He's rushed to the hospital where he slowly slips into a coma. Oh. And things are about to take a very drastic turn in his career yet again. W. Edwards Deming once wrote, The world is drowning in information, but slow in acquisition of knowledge. Help spread information by following us on Instagram and liking us on Facebook today. Thank you for listening to the Missing Chapter podcast with us, Phil Schaff and Phil Horander. You know, Phil, as you were describing Mel's life and you were, you were telling us all of these different characters that he was, uh, he was a part of, the person I actually thought of present day was actually Seth MacFarlane. Right, which you mentioned to me and I was like, oh, Phil, that's a great example. Yeah, yeah. and I, you kind of know him now, obviously, by the voice of Family Guy, okay? But you can now that you know that that's his voice, you can pick up on, sometimes on other characters. Oh, I think that's Seth MacFarlane. That sounds like him. But with Mel Blanc, and I know I mentioned this uh, earlier in our, our big portion of the episode, is that I am having a really difficult time trying to find the similarities of voices. Like his talent, his gift was was to do this on this earth. And I love the fact that he's not just um, you know a, a voice of all these different characters, but it's he's almost an American icon, right. and he's part of uh, people's history. He's a part of American history. Um, and world history too, because right. I mean, these are these are well well known characters. And I hope 
I hope people take the time to do what I did. And I, I'm sure they will get on YouTube and just spend some time looking up these characters mm-hmm. and look at some of his work and realize that's the same individual. And like you said, Phil, here's somebody whose name I, I personally was not familiar with. And maybe you were familiar with with Mel Blanc, but maybe you didn't realize the amount of work he did. And he has been an integral part of all of our lives. And see, I remember his name because I, when you see the name Mel Blanc and I, I I look at that, I'm like, I know that from somewhere. Where have I seen that? So then as soon as you mentioned Bugs Bunny, to me, I go right back to the cartoon and I remember seeing Mel Blanc. Um, But the voices of, I mean, Barney Rubble and Tweety Bird and all these different ones, I had no idea. Right. I mean, obviously Bugs Bunny, I think, if you were to look at that list, he's probably the most famous one that he's for. But then if you think about like Looney Tunes, that entire show developed around all of those characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really kind of snowballed after after Bugs Bunny. And Phil, as, as I was telling you during the break, it's if we were to stop now, I think most people would think, boy, that was a, a really amazing story about an amazing individual. I didn't know that about him. But, but there are some other elements that I want to get into that are just as amazing. And really, it's how these characters are going to save him without giving too much away. Okay. So Mel's wife, Estelle, and their son rush to the hospital and stand vigil next to his bed for two weeks. They speak to him. They're coaxing him and pleading with him to respond and give them any glimmer of hope that he might recover from this accident, this horrible accident. On day 14, one of Blank's neurologists had an idea. And at this point, they're desperate. They're looking to try any new idea that might produce, you know, different from results with his condition than what they'd happened up until this point. His doctor walks in, stands next to Mel's bed and says, Bugs Bunny, how are you doing today? The room was quiet. And although everyone in attendance were cautiously optimistic, they're also realistic as to what Mel had gone through and the, and the lack of success that they experienced over the last two weeks. People began to shake their heads. But then came a soft, weak response that anyone would have recognized. It was, man, what's up, doc? And the doctor follows this up with another question as people are getting more and more excited, asking, is Tweety there with you too? I thought I saw a putty cat, was Blank's reply. His doctors and family were astonished. So they were able, Phil, to bring him out of this two-week-long coma using the characters that he had developed and made famous. Here's the most astounding part of this for me. You have Mel's voice bringing life to the characters. Right. And now you have the characters bringing life back to Mel. That's amazing. And I apologize for my my impersonations. They did not do <laughs> Mel Blanc justice. Um, but Phil, that, that you're absolutely right. Now it would take blank seven more months to fully recover. In fact, he spent most of those seven months in a full body cast because he'd essentially broken almost every bone in his body in his car accident. But obviously his work and his beloved characters were helping him recover and helping him kind of quote unquote return to normal. So during this time, they actually suspended a microphone over Mel Blanc's bed while he's in the body cast so he could continue to voice Barney Rubble for the Flintstones episodes 
that were being taped. Do we know which episodes those were? I don't. I'd love to do that research, though, and find out. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. It would. Later on, Mel Blanc's ordeal was featured on an episode of the TV show, This Is Your Life. And his attending doctors attempted to make sense of and explain what happened that day in the recovery room. One of his neurologists offered up his opinion. This is a quote. He said, Blank was such a hardworking professional that his characters lived protected from the brain injury deep in his unconscious mind. The doctor's question must have sounded like a director's cue. Essentially, Mr. Blank, you're on. Another one of his doctors offered up a much simpler explanation. And I think this one makes sense too. It seemed like Bugs Bunny was trying to save his life, was all he said. And I think that's very poetic. Yeah. So Mal Blanc earned the nickname, the man of 1,000 voices, when in reality, it was probably closer to 1,500. In a career that spanned six decades in Hollywood, I mean, that's amazing if you can last that long. Blanc helped create over 400 of those characters. And during the 1940s and 50s, Phil, he's reported to have supplied Warner Brothers with 90% of their cartoon portfolio. In an interview, Blank himself was asked what he attributed to Bugs Bunny's appeal and the wide popularity. And this was his response. He's a little stinker. That's why people love him. He does what most people would like to do, but don't have the guts to do. And that almost, that almost sounds like himself. Yeah, it's, it's his alter you know, ego. Right. You know, it's like Bugs Bunny, I can get away with saying things and doing things that Mel Blanc can't. Wow. Right? Mel Blanc, the voice actor that breathed life into so many unforgettable characters, breathed his last breath on July 10th, 1989 at Cedar sinai Medical Center in Los Angeles. He succumbed to heart disease and emphysema at the age of 81. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Phil Schaff. And I'm Phil Horander. Another chapter has been added to the history textbooks.